black, the grid of the city, battle-hardened, golden like my favorite gram-based cereal, a bounty from Olympus. Hallelujah. This is gonna make messy his pants. Live and underway here on ESPN. Alongside Hercules Gomez, I'm Sebastian Salazar for episode 328, where we are celebrating the only NMLS crossover that is Will Ferrell and Lionel Messi. Mm, yeah, yeah. I-, I wonder if Messi will. No, no. No, no, no. No, no. no he won't. You-, you did say that word on the last episode of the show. Yes, I did. Mm-hmm. Yes, I did. We are ESPN+. Did they, Plus. I can say Did that. they get the bleep in there? Did they get the bleep in There's there quick no enough? There's no need for the bleep. We're ESPN+. Plus. That's right. Also, of course, ESPN Caribbean. Shout out to our uh, friends and, who are watching down there. We got a lot coming up Maybe on this edition podcast. of the show. Uh, we're going to be talking to Mia Fischel of the U.S. Women's National Team. Herc, they're, of course, kicking off the CONCACAF W Gold Cup next Tuesday out there in Los Angeles. So we'll preview that tournament with Mia. Also talk about her time in Chelsea right now. Tigres in Liga Mekis Femenil. Very good interview. Uh, and we're also going to talk in just a few minutes with Mauricio Pedrosa. Going to go over the Conca Champs action from the midweek and uh, look ahead to some Clásicos Nacionales that are coming down the pike for us. Uh, and as always, we're talking fashion here on Football Americas. We've got a dripping or tripping around MLS kits, so make sure to stick around for that. But let's start, since it is a Thursday, in the Europa League. AC Milan taking on Rennes in the first leg. Christian Pulisic and Yunus Musa in the starting 11 of this one for AC Milan. The opening goal for Milan came in the 31st minute. Her Christian Pulisic starting the play out here on the right wing, dropping it off and then charging towards the box. And in the end, it's going to be Ruben Loftus-Cheek, Pulisic's former Chelsea teammate, who finishes with the header. Yeah, Ruben Loftus-Cheek has been on a tear. He's going to have a very good night here. But this is what Christian Pulisic does very well, attacking defenders. And then, oh, not expecting it there. Has to have a better touch. Has to have at least a good look on goal. Pants there for Christian Pulisic in the 36th minute would go wasted. What about in the second half? Uh, when Milan were in really much cruise control, up 3-0. Pulisic going on a little bit of a solo run here, combining well with his teammates. Rafael Leao gets a shot but can't convert. I mean, the best of Christian Pulisic right there. A give-and-go with Giroud, another give-and-go with Leao. Left-footed finish forces a corner kick, uh, driving at the heart of the defense. It was that kind of day for Christian Pulisic, but he was active. Watch this right here, Seb. Meek Meek, one-on-one defender. You would have loved to see him slip it in here, right there to Giroud. He seems desperate for that goal. I think he decides wrong there. Pulisic there with a chance in the 73rd. AC Milan then 3-0 winners over Rennes in the first leg of their Europa League tie. Professor Gomez, what are we grading Pulisic's Europa League performance today? Regular A to F, right? None of your DC stuff where you add the E, right? We, we, yes, there's an E so that we don't hurt anybody's feelings here in the DMV. But it's no, it's A, B, C, D, or F today. Yeah, uh, I'm going to give him a B. Now, I thought he was very active. I thought he was actually unlucky not to get on the score sheet. I think the fact that he wants a goal so bad right now is probably in his head. And for the first time in a long time, I saw Christian Pulisic not make the right decision. I thought he probably mm. could have cut it back to Oliver Giroud and pretty much finished in an empty net. He decided to go by himself, uh, but I thought he was very active. I thought he was very tidy uh, in between the lines. Uh, I think it's him just trying to put pressure on himself to score that goal, but given that front line and how they play today, and I thought he was one of the better performers, I give him a B. I like the word you use there, active. 
I don't know if that's enough for me to give him a B. For me, an A or a B is a good grade. A D or an F is a bad grade. And this was kind of average from Christian Pulisic. Like, it wasn't bad, but it wasn't good. If you want to point to the second half and say he was very active and very involved there, we can point to the first half. If you want to point to the 55th minute when he combines with Leao or the, the moment there in the, what was it, 70-plus minute when he burst past his defender and almost scores, I can point to you at clear scoring chances that he doesn't finish. And when we just did this segment on Monday about a lack of productivity and now we're five weeks without a goal or an assist, I mean, can I really feel super comfortable giving it a B or an A? I feel quite comfortable giving it a C here, Herc. And beyond that, I think there's a little growing concern here because you saw what Ruben Loftus-Cheek did today. He's playing in that 10 spot in the middle of the 4-2-3-1. He's not moving. Rafael Leal seems to have caught fire again, so he doesn't seem to be moving. And you know who got back from AFCON yesterday uh, and getting to the final with Nigeria is Chukweze. Yeah, Samuel the guy Chukweze. has not touched Pulisic all season. Okay, but the only spot he's going to go into, right, is that right-wing spot. He's left-footed, cuts in on the left. I mean, that's, that's the role for him. So if you're going to give one of the three guys a break, I'm not saying Pulisic's going to get benched by Pioli, but if you're going to give one of those guys a break with Chukweze coming back, it probably is going to be Pulisic, not just because of the position, but also because of the output. And, and that's why, to me, it's a C. Like, he needed a goal. He needed an assist today. He needed something today, and he didn't get it. Uh, yeah, I don't disagree that he needed something for himself. Not for Pioli. Pioli trusts him. I think for the first time in a long time, Christian Pulisic, he's found a coach who trusts and believes in him, and that's why Pioli keeps playing him. And despite not scoring, despite not coming out on a stat sheet with an assist, he keeps playing because he creates so much, because he is so dynamic, and because Christian Pulisic is finding defensive discipline in how he helps the team. I don't, I don't think there's anything to worry about with Christian Pulisic losing that spot, especially the Chukwesi, who Chukwesi, when he was fit and both were fit, never touched Christian Pulisic. If anything, I think Pioli's style of play has rewarded players. I can't tell you how frustrating it's been to watch Rafa Leal play with Milan this year, and he was great today. He looked free. He looked like he was on all cylinders. He got on the score sheet. Uh, a bunch of good plays give and goes with Christian Pulisic. I think it's more about Christian Pulisic and how he interacts with these players. Giroud should have had a chance even though he wasn't playing well, and it would have came off Christian Pulisic. Rafa Leal maybe should have had an assist, and it would have came off a Christian Pulisic goal. I think right now he's in a good moment, and the team is in a good moment. As long as the team's in a good moment, as long as these chances are coming, I am not worried. It's when these chances are not coming, when he can't see the goal, that I'm going to get worried. I do appreciate what you say about the defense. I think this is by far like the grittiest version, and not just because he has facial hair, but the grittiest <laughs> version of Christian Pulisic uh, that we've seen. He is kind of doing it on, uh, on both ends of the pitch. Speaking, Herc, of the U.S. men's national team, Christian Pulisic's manager, Greg Berhalter, has been making the media rounds of late and has had some interesting comments. We'll start with this one. Talking about Serginho Des' red card. Now, three months ago in the... CONCACAF Nations League against Trinidad and Tobago. Yep, to me, it's a great moment for the team. It's a great learning experience for the group. It's a great moment for us to grow as a team. It's not only his reaction that I think we need to talk about, but I think it's everybody's reaction. What do we do when things like this happen? How do we avoid getting derailed as the collective? For him, it's about how this moment can put the team in a difficult position. I think that's a great learning experience for all of us as we go into Copa America, CONCACAF Nations League, and the World Cup. Herc, these comments from Greg Berhalter deserve yet another get lost? 
I'm going to give him a get lost, but I understand what he's doing. This is the uh, silver linings playbook, right? Let's try to turn something that's a negative into a positive. Let's try to see mm -hmm. the best in something. Yes, Sergio Dest can learn to not put himself in a stupid situation. Cannot learn to, can learn to not react stupidly to something that's so minuscule. That can happen. But as far as the team, it's very difficult to teach how to not react to stupidity. It's easier to teach them how not to get into stupidity. And what I mean by that is you can train a man down session and all teams do this at all levels, club teams, national teams, in the event of a man down, how you defend, how you are compact, how you limit spaces, where you take the game to limit danger. You train these things. You don't train how to react after a player does something so stupid and then is telling his own teammates to shut up while they're trying to reprimand them. That's an emotional state. I don't know how you do that. There is no learning from that. You can learn to not get into this position or this situation, but that's gonna come with being young. And Sergio Dest, uh, this was dumb, this was ridiculous, he will learn from this. But as far as a team, I mean, the playing a man down, you do anyways. It's the rest of the stuff that I think he's just trying to kind of spin it. And I understand, he's still green himself, but this is a get lost. I can't give him a get lost for this. I mean, it's three months since this happened. He's being asked about it. What's he gonna say? I mean, he's gonna hammer Dest more. That's gonna crush the player. And I think probably even the dressing room would react negatively to that. And I kind of do Herc buy into the fact that this is a learning experience because you had to go down to 10 men in a very important game and you had the cushion from the first leg, uh, but you survived it. And so now if you do get into a place where somebody, as you say, does something stupid, reacts stupidly, whatever stupid that they do, um, you are going to have at least 10 guys who have been through that before and, and maybe know how to deal with it. So I think there is something learned there. If I was going to give Greg Berhalter a get lost, it would be for some of the other comments that he's made. As I mentioned, Herc, uh, a bit of a media tour. The U.S. is going to play Colombia here in the D.C. area on, what is it, June 8th is one of the uh, preparation matches for Copa America. But he's talking semifinals. He's talking about changing American soccer forever as part of this. Um, he's also talking about being an easy target as the national team coach. Greg Berhalter, once again, playing himself as the victim. That's where I would be telling him to get lost. I have no trouble here with him somewhat defending Sergio Dest oh, and finding what I believe is a legit Dest. learning experience for I, the team. I don't think it's about defending Sergio Dest. And he doesn't have to hammer or bury Sergio Dest. But there are very few things you can learn from how you, you learn from experience, this. Herc, don't you? You learn from experience. You you can't you can train with ten guys against eleven all day. Yeah, but that's on a emotional, field, but you, Seb. That's, that's you can't a, you. That's a, that's I mean, emotional. I mean, the fact they're in the, in this position wasn't a bad tackle. It, you know, it wasn't it wasn't a, a, a last man. He's trying to save a goal. Who it, cares it was, what the reason you get in that position is? The important thing is what you do once you're down to ten and men. What did they and do? They, they almost lost. They the, survived. Except, except they, they survived all, in advance. They Herc. survived. The United States men's national team's golden generation survived against Trinidad and Tobago, who's in a they playoff for Copa, Copa America. America. They qualified for Copa America, and they might not have. Had it gone differently, you could say whatever you want. Terrible learning experience, whatever. But hindsight is 2020. Yeah, they survived. I, don't, I, don't, I think the only learning experience here is for the opponents thinking that now they can see a weak spot. If you poke this guy, if you agitate him, he's an easy target. I think that's a learning experience. But as far as the rest of the players, I think all they learned is this kid was an idiot in a bad moment. 
because you playing, you, playing a man down, you do that. You do that in training sessions, anyways. That's how you learn. There's very, very little they can learn about themselves as a team. Is what I'm trying to tell you. Yeah, I guess. I guess the only way we'll truly find out if Dest himself had the great learning experience. Well, no, we'll see I have what no doubt he did. I have no yeah. doubt he did. Well, we'll see. We'll see. If we see a similar mistake, then we know that it wasn't a great learning experience and the lessons weren't drilled in by whoever says to be drilling in those lessons. There are more comments, Herc, from Greg Berhalter. These which are drawing concern for maybe different reasons, and they're about a very important player in the U.S. men's national team. That, of course, is Tyler Adams, who's dealing with an injury. And Berhalter was asked about his status uh, ahead of Copa America. Quote, I don't know. We're taking it the same way he's taking it, and that's day by day. And as we get information, we'll be able to make decisions. But for us, it's just supporting him, continuing to communicate with his club, and really not getting ahead of ourselves. Kirk, Tyler Adams in doubt for Copa America. Hasn't played since, what, October for Bournemouth. Calm or alarm? Alarm. Listen, Tyler Adams is a, as good and talented as they come in CONCACAF. But I've always been told it's better to be available than good. Um, and he's not been available. He's actually not played for almost a year, approaching a year. And he's not played the U.S. men's national team for Greg Berhalter since the World Cup in Qatar in 2022. It's now a situation where you have to go in thinking there's a realistic possibility for Greg Berhalter, if you're Greg Berhalter, that you don't have one of your star players, a player who's not easily replaceable. And how you go about that, will it be by committee with a Weston McKinney and Eunice Musa, or do you trust somebody finally an heir or a backup policy the insurance policy to Tyler Adams like maybe a Johnny Cardoso who's doing very well at Real Betis have somebody who can be that lone marker in that defensive midfielder excuse me defensive midfielder position because the reality is you might have to start thinking about not only Copa America but what's to come because Tyler Adams going on a year right now with this hamstring injury when he broke out to the scene as a teenager I recall him having that adductor injury and it was a chronic adductor injury that he had surgery for and he missed almost six months so now we're starting to see a trend and as talented as Tyler Adams is he can't show you how talented he can't prove how good and how fundamental he is for this program unless he's on the field and you can't bank on that what if so if you're Greg Berhalter you have to look beyond Tyler Adams because he may not be there for Copa America I'll agree with you on alarm as far as the player is concerned, right? Because to me, from a player's perspective here, a young guy having these type of injuries, I mean, you would know this better than me, but I'm just thinking, missing a year of time? I mean, that's basically what it's been. There was a few minutes in October, but it's basically been since last March that he has not played at all. That's going to have a huge impact, not just on kind of what he is in the months when he does eventually return. I think the owner for Bournemouth said he might be back by late February or early March. But I think long term, like what we project for his career might be changing because of these injuries. But I might be preaching a little bit more calm, Herc, from the national team perspective. When we were leading into the World Cup and even around the World Cup, how many segments did we do? Well, we had the argument whether Tyler Adams was the most, not, not like valuable player, but most important player to this team. Now, in the lead up to the last World Cup, there was effectively one way this team could play, right? It was the 4-3-3, and you had to have Tyler in that spot behind the two more attacking midfielders. Now not only have more defensive midfielders emerge, you mentioned Johnny uh, Cardoso. We had the run it back, the goal from Leonard Maloney, a uh, kid who's playing in the Bundesliga right now. So he's, he's maybe somebody else you could work in there. But you also, Herc, have a different formation. Doesn't that 4-2-3-1 give you more outs as a team, more ways to figure out what to do if Tyler Adams isn't available, whether it's CONCACAF Nations League or Copa America beyond that? 
Seb, I'm going to leave you with this. Germany versus the U.S. men's national team in Hartford, Connecticut. Mm -hmm. Okay, do you remember how Musa played? Mm -hmm. Do you remember the deficiencies in that midfield? Mm -hmm. You need a player with that defensive stability, that bite. They don't have that player right now that's been given an opportunity with Greg Berhalter. Not that we have seen. Can Johnny Cardoso be that player? What Maybe. about how good they looked in the 4-2-3-1 in CONCACAF Nations League? Against the worst generation of Mexican players that I've seen in my lifetime and against a team in Canada who... Who do you think they're the playing in CONCACAF Nations League? No, no, Seb. I'm not talking about CONCACAF Nations League, and neither should you. We're talking about Copa America. That's the thing here with Tyler Adams. Is he in jeopardy for Copa America? I could care less about CONCACAF. This is a dry run for the World Cup, Seb. You want Tyler Adams in that dry run for the World Cup? You want Tyler Adams against Uruguay? You don't want Tyler Adams against... Canada or against Mexico or against Costa Rica or Panama. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about the World Cup. And what is a precursor for that World Cup? Copa America. That's where we're going with this. All right. So there we have it. Uh, Tyler Adams endowed for both the CONCACAF Nations League and the Copa America. Still struggling with an injury uh, while he's playing for Bournemouth in the Premier League. Let's get back to Europa League since we started the show with Christian Pulisic playing and starting. Uh, let's talk Santiago Jimenez, who didn't start. He came off the bench dealing with a calf injury as Feyenoord played against Roma in the uh, knockout rounds of the UEFA. Uh, sorry, of the Europa League. He had uh, three goals in five previous Europa League matches, but uh, didn't do anything here. He was blanked in a 1-1 draw. 27 minutes, three shots, a kind of a wild bicycle kick attempt. One shot on target, 10 touches total, Herc, for an expected goals of 0.14. Uh, that's today, but overall, his last goal way back on January 14th. And Herc, that's his only goal so far in 2024. As a striker, one who never went cold in his career, what do you think's up with Santiago Jimenez? Yeah, it's going on. I, I believe this has been seven games without a goal. Look, Santi Jimenez is 22 years of age, and, and if you go by what the Dutch press is telling us, uh, Ooh, this, 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 this transfer talk uh, or this uh -huh. failed transfer to, to Spurs, to Tottenham uh, or other clubs has been messing with him, has been messing with his head. That's what the Dutch press will lead you to believe. And maybe that could be a factor as well. It's not easy on a player who's never experienced any of this. He's 22 years old and he's never had this much attention. He's never been the guy that's been expected to continue to be the guy. And then you go on a little bit of a goal-scoring drought, and then your team is littered, literally littered by injuries. And then you get injured. And then when you're trying to come back and nurse yourself back into health before one of the biggest games of the year in the Europa League against Roma, a team that you just got red-carded against in the last fixture of Europa League. So there's a little bit of a, a personal issue there. Uh, but this isn't the first time that he's gone cold in his career, let alone with, you know, Feyenoord. It was a nine-game nine stretch last season where he went cold. Now, in that nine-game stretch, he was trying to find himself in that lineup, and he was in and out of that lineup, but it was still nine games, and it took one goal to regain that form and come back in it. I think this is a normal progression for a striker, especially a young striker who's never had this much pressure on him, and he's living his life out in the limelight. I repeat, maybe would it be that the transfer talk has affected him? I, I cannot see how it can't, how you have your hopes and dreams hinging on something and it doesn't happen. Um, but I think this comes with the territory, and I think sooner or later he's going to bounce back from this. It may well come with the territory. Uh, you did this for a living, so you would know better than I. I guess beyond that, though, there's going to be an impact to it. 
right? Whether it comes to the territory. I remember when we were discussing over the summer, when would be the right time for Santiago Jimenez to leave the Dutch top flight. I kind of thought, well, if he goes back, nothing bad's going to happen. His stock is not going to be impacted negatively because I didn't see this happening. I didn't see him going cold. Now, let's say he catches fire, and certainly if he does it in Europa League, that's going to erase whatever's happened over the last month or so. But right now, Herc, between the lack of productivity, what they're saying in the Dutch press, they're hammering him. Our colleagues at ESPN Netherlands, they're first in line. They're hammering I saw somebody, I think it was actually not ESPN Netherlands. It was like uh, the Telegraph or somebody, said he was worth 5 million euros. Forget about 50 million euros. So there's pressure both in terms of the transfer. There's pressure there in terms of the press. There's a lot of negativity. And if you see some of the links, Herc, there was a time we were talking about 50 million, 100 million. We were talking, remember during the, the winter wish list, I, had him, I wanted him to go to Real Madrid. Now it's, now it's a different level. Now we're talking 35, 40 million euro links, and we're talking like West Ham's. We're talking different levels. So um, this struggle, it may well be natural. It may not be something to worry about long term. But if he's thinking he's going to get sold this summer, going cold right now, in the Eredivisie, where you're supposed to be scoring every week if you're truly an elite player, like a 50 million euro transfer would, would command, um, you know, it's not going to be good for that transfer fee, and it's not going to open any more doors than are open right now. Yeah, I don't know what to tell you, man. I told you you should have gone, you know, when the offer was there. You, that's, you, it's in hand, and, and you don't know how many times that offer is going to come around because uh, look what happened with Edson Alvarez and that Chelsea that didn't materialize and ended up at West Ham, et cetera, et cetera. What I will say is it's, it's one thing to be at the top and be good and be hot. It's another thing to go cold and see those guys kind of creep on you. He's now number two in the Golden Boot standings in the Eredivisie. Uh, he's he's only one ahead of Luke De Jong, who's like maybe my age, and the guy's steady, the, the MVP of the Eredivisie for PSV. I'm not kidding. He's one goal yeah, behind he's Santi, Ricardo Pepe on the bench, and he's so one goal behind the assist leader, you know, in the Eredivisie. So, so uh, no, there's tons of respect. But what I'm trying to tell you is. Now he's got people nipping at his heels. Now he's not the talk of the town. So how he reacts from this is going to be very important, very telling. First chance to react will be this weekend. Uh, Feyenoord taking on Valvik, which, of course, uh, you can watch on ESPN+. Plus. Also on ESPN+, Plus this weekend, we got La Liga. Atletico Madrid against Juliana Araujo's Las Palmas. Coverage starts at 8 a.m. Eastern time Saturday here on ESPN+. Plus. CONCACAF Champions Cup, Club America hosting Real Esteli, who of course uh, won the first leg 2-1 in Nicaragua. This game wasn't played at Estadio Azteca, no, at Estadio Azul, Cruz Azul's old stadium. 18 minutes in, America grabbed the lead. Cabecita Rodriguez off the Quinones assist. Yeah, it's not the cleanest of receptions. It actually goes a little bit behind him, but he does very well with it. Look at the finish. He knows he's got to shelf that. He knows he's got to go high. There's lots of bodies in the net, and he does just that. Look at that, right behind him a little bit, and then boom. Roofs it. one nothing America off the Cabecita goal. 2-2 on aggregate. 34th minute. Free kick. Brian Rodriguez. Crossbar. It's a good hit right here. <laughs> Gives the keeper the eyes and the hips, and the keeper falls for it. Still one nothing into the second half. Real Esteli with a chance, and a good one. But they can't even put the shot on target. Yeah, forget about putting it on target. Maybe cut that back. You got three players, three different players for Alice Lee, literally crashing the box. Look right here. You got right there. One, two, three. If you cut it back, 
Still 1-0. Still 2-2 on aggregate. A couple minutes later, America make it 2-0. Alejandro Sendejas with a finishing touch. And don't ask me how Sendejas finds himself all alone in between six Real Esteli players. Uh, maybe has a second bite of this because it's a, it's a poor touch to begin with right here. Uh, it's accidental touch. I'll give him that. But then he finishes it off very well and he gets his goal. America, the 3-2 aggregate lead. Still, Real Esteli just a goal away. 68th minute, America looking for the clincher. Sendejas with the opportunity, off the post. Yeah, I mean, that was his MO for the night. He was player of the game, man of the match, but a goal and two posts, this was one of them. So Real Esteli still alive as we hit second half stoppage time. And what do you know, they're gonna get a chance. Luis Malagón with the save. Yeah, I was just thinking how vital that goal they scored in Nicaragua was. America advances in the CONCACAF Champions Cup through to the round of 16, where a very special matchup awaits. And speaking of very special, good to welcome in a very special guest to Football America is none other than Mauricio Pedrosa, who just spent some time in Las Vegas with Herc. And if my yeah. Twitter search is correct, you almost Ooh. nailed the final score of the Super Bowl. Huh? Again, yes, I predicted 24-23. Uh, it was 25-22. I'll take that. That's a mm -hmm. W for me. We had a great time at Herc's home in Las Vegas. Always a great host. I love Again. how this guy, you won't, you won't mention that I predicted the Super Bowl before the season started and the winner? All right. Oh, All right. oh. thanks. Excuse me. Excuse okay. me. That was not Mauricio Pedrosa, by the way. That was Don Vegas that made that very uh, there you go. There you go. There you go. There you I go. Had a Super Bowl. Um, all right, Mal, so let's dive into this second leg from Club America against Real Esteli. How nervous, how worried were you from an America <laughs> perspective throughout the game? Maybe not just about the second leg, but yeah. about both legs as we combine that performance and think about what America will uh, aspire to achieve throughout this season. So after the first game, I wasn't nervous at all because I said I was one of those maybe quote-unquote analysts saying, no, when they go back and play Mexico City, it's going to be 5-0 for America. Easy-beasy. Thank God they found that goal. And it's just 2-1. But during the second game, I'll put it this way. It's probably around the 75th minute mark. My wife was watching with me, and he said, nah, they're not going to score. I'm going to go to bed. And I said, I should go to bed right now as well. But I just couldn't stop watching the game because I knew there was a chance something bad was about to happen. I know Chicote Walderon was subbed out, thank God, because one of his mistakes almost, almost created what would have been the equalizer for Real Esteli. So even though I wanted to feel more relaxed, I was not because it was, again, Angel Malagón, America's goalkeeper, the man of the match. And that is not great news if you're playing against what's supposed to be not a such a strong team at Real Esteli, with all due respect, said, of course, from Nicaragua. So I had to watch the whole thing. I had to stay through this 97 minute. And I was nervous. Yeah. Uh, nervous, I could see. Concerned? Absolutely. You should be very concerned. Both you, Seb, and the rest of the Americanistas, because if we look at the CONCACAF Champions Cup, this tournament of what we've seen so far, Club America has easily been the worst Liga Mekis performer. And they weren't only the worst Liga Mekis performer, but it was at the hands of not a team from their own league, Liga Mekis, not a team from Major League Soccer, not a team from a, you would say, a historical team in this competition like a Saprissa, but a team from Nicaragua with all due respect to Real Esteli, with no history in this competition. And then if we go by what's on paper, 
It should have been an outrageous scoreline in both legs. They leave this game open. Even though it was controlled, there's still a sense, even towards the end of this game, like there could be a surprise in here. So if I'm Club America, at no moment did I feel at ease. And at no moment in the season uh, have I seen anything to believe me to believe that Luis Angel Malagón, the goalkeeper for Club America, will not continue to be the best player they have. I would be very concerned for what's coming for Club America. Mm. I think I said I was 0.0% worried ahead of the second leg. <laughs> I will admit that that maintained itself for most of this game. Even in the second half, I felt like America was closer to the third than Real Esteli was to the first. And then in the 90th minute, when that ball kind of trickles through, yeah. it's panic stations in my house. I'm my cousin, who had Club America team tu total primo, over two and a half, primo. was very, very disappointed throughout the match. More the tension cousin. and probably frustration over that. The, the reality of this America team, guys, and, and we know this well, is they have a very soft underbelly, right? For all yeah. the names in that back line, the Cáceres, um, Kevin Alvarez, who comes in late, Nestor Araujo didn't play, thank God, but he's somewhere in there on the bench. Lichnowski, Reyes, I mean, those guys are just not consistent. And it doesn't matter what the level is, whether it's somebody in Liga MX, one of the big boys, or Real Esteli. If you can get to that level of America, you can create problems and you can create action for Luis Malagón. So far, both in this tournament specifically and then last year throughout the season and the playoffs, Luis Malagón has somewhat surprisingly answered the bell and got them, I think, that title. But... If you think about relying on your goalie for kind of the long term here for Club America, I don't know if that's exactly where this team wants to be. Let's move on to Chivas, because Chivas was another team that also advanced uh, in the CONCACAF Champions League last night, taking on, of course, uh, Forge FC from up in the Canadian Premier League. Now, the first leg in this one, uh, already 3-1 to Chivas away, so they picked up a 2-1 win at home, and things got started in the eighth minute. Eric Gutierrez here, Herc, scuttling it over the line. Yeah, Pollo Briseño again, showing how much of a constant threat he is on set pieces, those aerial duels. Beats his marker, goalkeeper has to do a lot better there, and Eric Gutierrez, he'll clean that up. At that point, 1-0 uh, Chivas and 4-1 on aggregate. Into the second half, Chivas would score again. This one from Jose Castillo to make it 2-0 and 5-1 on aggregate, following his shot. Yeah, it's a very good individual play here from Castillo. He gets his own rebound. It's a good little 1v1 right here. Finishes it out. Good little finish right there. No goalkeeper, he'll take it. Chivas there well and truly in control on the second effort finish from Castillo. For Jeff C, the Canadians, they'd get their Gol del Honor in stoppage time from Kevon Tavernier. Well taken shot there, but in the end, not enough as uh, Chivas going to win 5-2 on aggregate, setting up Chivas against America, the Clásico Nacional in the next round. All right, Matt, we'll dive into those Clásicos in just a second, but I'm curious what you think and what you make of this Chivas team after they wipe the floor with the two-time defending CPL champions. <laughs> well, not, not just because of that uh, amazing, amazing success against one of the best teams in the region, but I, what I will say is I've been very, very impressed with how fast it seems like these players understood what Fernando Gago wants from them. And it's not just me saying it. Pocho Guzman said it himself. Eric Gutierrez said it himself. It seems like whatever Fernando Gago is asking from us, we are understanding it faster. We are executing faster than we thought. And even though this is not a finished product, I mean, not in the slightest, but I think Chivas fans can be optimistic with the way this team plays. Usually, teams reflect how the managers, 
used to be as players. Mm. And this Chivas team does remind me the way Fernando Gago used to play. Intense, uh, fast, smart, good decisions. Again, not a finished product, but I feel like so far so good with Chivas. Let, let's hope now we want to keep him healthy. Yeah, that was mean. That was, that was, that was, that was, that was just yeah, mean. Yeah, a low blow. Go ahead, Sammy. No, Mal, I'm curious about what you think, Herc. As we see the comparison here between uh, Gago and Paunovic, it was actually a much better start under Paunovic if you look at some of the results they had. What's the signature win here for Chivas? They beat Tigres and Rayados in their first 10 games under Paunovic. They had one loss in their first 10 games well, under Paunovic. Yeah. Who have they beat here? Who, who have they beat here? San Luis. For you, Mal. Hey, huh. semi-final team last season. Don't well, forget. I, I, I could see. I could see why you would say that. Still, the only team I believe they've lost to is Tigres. And they played really well and that they, game. They played very really well. well that yeah. game. I actually thought they were unlucky not to get a result at a very I'm difficult I'm not asking who they've lost to. Tell me about this. You who are Mr. Signature Wins, Hercules Gomez. Tell me about their signature wins Yeah, I don't Juarez. think I can go around asking for a signature win after six, seven games. I think that's mm -hmm. a little illogical. I think you got to give him some time. And I think that's why Mal's talking about how quickly they have brought on his identity, his idea, and put it into play uh, on open field. I think there's something to be said about that. Now, signature wins? Well, <laughs> in the next 15 days, we're going to have three games where he's going to have a chance Ooh. to get a signature win. So you may mm -hmm. have your answer there. But I'll echo what Mal says. This team, they do reflect Fernando Gago and his style of play, the intensity, uh, how dynamic and fast they are, how, how they try to win the ball high up the field. Um, there's a certain sense, there's a certain sense of, of a discipline that comes with them. Uh, there's still a lot of unfinished uh, pieces there, but I like what I've seen so far from this team. Since you mentioned the Clásico Nacionales as, a, as potential signature wins, let's go there because there's going to be three of mm -hmm. them in a 10-day stretch between March 6th and the 16th. Of course, two in the CONCA Champions and one in league play. Uh, Mal, what do you make of the matchup? And let's, let's keep on the Chivas side yeah. of things. Like, how ready do you think they are, both from a team and also from a roster standpoint? Mm. Because well, this, is, this is a lot of big games in very, very quick succession. Yes, but that's, that's two different topics right there, two different questions. Uh, I'll start with the first one. I think they are ready. I think timing is actually great for Chivas because they are going to face a not-so-great Club America as of right now. This, this is a slow start for America, which I, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but we all believe is a better roster, a better team overall than Chivas. Just, it's, this, is a, this is a slow start. If this was maybe mid-season, April, and... Uh, America had I'm the sorry, time. a slow start. They're ahead of Chivas in the table. Yes, if we're going to pump but, up Chivas. Performance, Seb, performance. You know America can play way better, much better. Yeah, like when they won the title last recently. season. That's, that's totally fine. But you got you to gotta peak at the right time. My concern with Chivas is that they are peaking too fast now. That comes at the time in which they are going to play America <laughs> three times in the span uh, of what? Ten days, basically. Yep. So if they... If they were ever going to have a shot at eliminating America from CONCACAF, this was the perfect time for them. Right time, right place. And to me, Chivas come as the favorites.
To kick America out what? of the CONCACAF Cup. What? Yeah, I see, yes. I see what's no going on. Responsibility. Responsibility is on Chivas' shoulder right now. I see what's going on here. I see what's going on Let here. Let me just ask What's... one thing. Let me just ask Dude, one thing don't quickly. Ask him. Don't ask him. No, 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 no. Because go the, ahead, the, go ahead. The, the CONCACAF Champions League game or CONCACAF Champions Cup game for America that they just played was at Estadio Azul. Yeah. These games are going to be played at Azteca, right? Yeah. If it's if it's at Estadio Azul, maybe they're going to give some chafa performance like they did against Real Esteli. <laughs> but if they're at Azteca, please, please. How can you say Chivas is a favorite? Oh, That's wow. That's Chivas' second home. And America's record is better playing at, I was going to call it OmniLife. What's, what's the name now? Akron. 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 America's yeah, yeah, yeah. record is against Chivas is way better at Akron than at Stadio Azteca. Uh, so I see what's going on here, both mm-hmm. from Sebi, who, who Sebi is, is like a little kid in the, in the sandbox who just got his toy taken mm-hmm. away, and now he's, mm-hmm. he's getting angry. Because who am I worried about on Chivas, by the way? Wait, wait, who's, who's my big fear? Is, who's, who's America game planning for on Chivas? Well, well, I guess you don't have My to guy. worry too much anymore because Chicote's on your side. Chicotazo is on your side now. That's right. Uh, yeah, if he can get into our team. I don't know. I don't know. Did they already put up the graphic of the knockout round games between the two? Because there is something to be said about Chivas versus uh-huh. America when there is cherry a Cherry picking statistics. It's cherry picking cherry data. Pick. Hold on. Time out. Time out. It's not cherry picking. I, I think Mal's right when he said, Mal, I know what Mal's doing. Okay. No, I'm not. <laughs> yes. Here you no, I'm not. Take, you look, take a look at this. look right here at the take most recent this. KO stage meetings. It's very competitive between the two. I don't think you can say, Seb, with with, mm-hmm. with certainty that this is going to be a blow, especially the way, and this is what Mal was getting at, the way that Chivas is playing today, they feel much better about themselves than how America is. Mal said something earlier. Uh, uh, when we were talking behind closed doors, he mm-hmm. said, and I hope you don't mind that I say this. <laughs> it's too late. Go ahead. He was talking about, you look at Chivas, they're much closer to their ceiling yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, than yeah. America is. America's playing way below their level. That's a dangerous combo when you got a team playing close to their ceiling and another is not. Now, 10 days is a lot of, it, it, it's, it's a short time for mm-hmm. to have three games. And, and Mal mentioned Chivas being a, oh, sorry, Mal mentioned America being a much deeper roster, which I will contend to, yes. Mm-hmm. The average age in Liga Mekis is 27 years of age per team. Chivas is 25.9. That's a good thing. Well, yes, but, That's a good but thing. I'm including, I'm including, and they're including the likes of Chapito Sanchez, Isaac mm-hmm. Brizuela, Chicharito Hernandez, who are all in their mid 30s, 35 and up. You take those players who are not playing, by the way, you take those players out of the equation, that number comes down drastically. So I'm not too worried about these three games in 10 days. Mm. I'm more worried about the health, which I think today plays in favor of Chivas. And sometimes it's better to be naive, like I think Chivas has been. There are players right now that are doing things that you wish some of these big signings that Chivas has had have been doing. Pavel Perez today is one of the better players they have. Cade Cowell comes out of nowhere. Mateo Chavez, the other kid who's playing on the right it's a very good team and i don't think it's as cut and dry as look at the record look at the teams really quick sep um mm-hmm. please tell me who america is afraid of because kurt couldn't give me a name maybe you can kick on the bench he doesn't even start in liga he's starting over if you Pick come one. and play if you come and but play there's a chance but it's Yoko, not about Yoko that as well uh, alvarado uh, they, uh, Yoko alvarado i'm have, scared of his goal for you Sev, I have an answer for you, and you will agree with me. Mm-hmm. Who's America concerned with? Their own players. Okay. Their own okay. players. Right. There's not, not one Chivas. player. No, of course exactly. not. Of course exactly. not. So don't tell me Chivas is favorite. You would have never said Chicote and he scored two goals in a playoff. You would have never said hey, anything could happen, no, but I'm not going to a game scared of anybody on Chivas. Individual performances by America's players, it has been really weak. Really weak, but... If for some reason Andre Jardini, America's manager, is able to make him play just a bit better, 
better of how they've been playing the recent three or four Liga MX games or mm -hmm. against Real Esteli, then America should win this match. Mm -hmm. But they haven't been doing so. So when you ask, who are they concerned with? Their own performance. It is as easy as that. Can I ask a question? Mm -hmm. If America plays like they played against Real Esteli, will they beat Chivas? They won't play that way. They won't play They'll that way. They'll be up for it. They'll be up for it. They'll be up for it. I mean, as, no, as no, a former they player, play it's a way. different motivation. Yeah, yeah, a Clásico a classico is a different motivation. Then why don't they always beat them? This is what I'm trying to tell you is if they give the liberties they gave to Real Esteli, this they game won't. could get ugly, especially with a team won't. who's so fast on the break like Chivas. Chivas is dynamic. They're intense. That open space, you cannot tell me you feel good about the, the America back line and leaving Malaga no. to be the hero against a team like Chivas. But we said the same thing last year and they ended up winning the league. Yeah, but last year, Club America was playing way better. They were at a much higher level of play than they are this season. Henry Martin will be back healthy, right? That's they big. didn't have Henry Martin That's healthy big. the last couple of weeks. That's a big one. And we'll see. Who's going to start on the wings? Because that has been the big question mark for Andres Jardines as of late. I'll leave it at this. You're talking about Henry Martin coming back. There is one player coming back in the series that can nah, well, the he, game. he won't play. He won't and play. he already nah, said nah, he's nah. looking at nah, that. Nah, it's Javier play. El Chicharito Hernandez. He won't play. I won't say 0.0% worry, but it's, <laughs> it's pretty close. All right, that'll, that'll do it for us here. Uh, Mal, great as always to have you with us. We should remind folks, if you want to catch these two in action in Spanish, Monday through Friday. 6.30 p.m. Eastern Time, 3.30 p.m. Pacific. Ahora o nunca with Herc and Mao. <laughs> Catch was. it five days a week on ESPN Deportes. All right, Herc, more from the CONCACAF Champions Cup. Tigres in Vancouver, second leg Wednesday in Mexico after a 1-1 draw in the first leg. 0-0 first half, Luis Quinones opening the scoring for Tigres in the 51st minute. Luis Quinones, who normally plays facilitator, this time on the end of a, a goal right there. Listen, Tigres, who were the only team that actually faced top quality opposition by league, if you want to go to that standpoint, uh, doing the business at home, and it starts with Luis Quinones. Tigres will get a second in the 85th minute. Talk about that depth, Osiel Herrera, 2-0. Yeah, I don't think we talk enough about Osiel Herrera's ability to join the attack as a second nine. A lot of his goals with Tigres have come in the box like this, off of headers. And what can you see about Diego Lainez doing what he does, 1v1 situation, great ball in. They'd get a third in stoppage time from Bigon as uh, Tigres win 3-0 and 4-1 on aggregate over Vancouver. Here's a look at next week's CONCACAF slate, which is when most of the MLS teams, of course, other than the Whitecaps, will jump in on Tuesday, Orlando City Cavalry out of the Canadian League. We got Philly Saprissa also on Tuesday. Houston St. Louis, that's the only all MLS affair. Wednesday, it's FC Cincinnati against Cavalier out of Jamaica. Nashville against Mocha out of the Dominican Republic. First legs wrap up Thursday, New England Revolution against Independiente of Panama. All right, uh, Inter Miami could be in some hot water. According to Tom Bogart of The Athletic, they need to shed salary or get more allocation money. Uh, in order to be roster compliant in time for the season. The only problem, the season's six days away, or at least their opener. DeAndre Yedlin, Robert Taylor, and others are reportedly on the chopping block as a result. Perk, is this something, nothing, or everything? Um, this is nothing. This is nothing. Now, are you saying there's no teeth to MLS rules? Well, so much so that, uh, reads notes, MLS has not announced specific roster rules and regulations for 2024. 
So the same article that cites all this also cites right. that the league won't tell you the rules right. for They're this They're non-compliant year. with something that we don't know what it is. And nobody, nobody does publicly, yeah. You're not doing it right. What you're not doing right, we don't know because they've not made those rules public. And you know what's worse? Even if they make those rules public, we don't know what funny money mm-hmm. Inter-Miami has. And what I mean by that is you can have salary cap relief. You can have some of this relief to, to buy them down or whatever the case may be. If you have allocation money in the form of TAM or GAM or the silly monopoly money that you see that you can go buy, whatever. We don't know because they don't have to disclose. They don't have to make it public this year or whatever rolled over from last year. So you're just throwing literally darts in the dark. Dark, excuse me. You're, you're, you're literally just trying to guess. So whoever this salty person or mm. persons, the sources of a very credible, credible journalist like Tom Boger, whoever gave him this, it's just coming off of sour grapes because there's no way you can prove it. Now, if you can't prove it, shame on them. Mm. But they still have, by my calculations, five days to sort it out. And there are many different ways with all these funny rules and mechanisms that Major League Soccer has in place right now and can conveniently come about in the next five days. Yeah, the, uh, one of the vice presidents over there at Major League Soccer today came out with a quote that says, they will be compliant. That doesn't give you a whole lot of, like, faith in the system, right? Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Five days, yeah, we'll sort it out. Uh, I actually love the pettiness from rival GMs. I think it's wonderful. It's great content, right? Nobody's calling, nobody's calling Tom Bogart to let him know about this because they don't want him to tell the story. They want everybody talking about this, that Inter-Miami has advantages and is finding loopholes and is doing all this. Inter-Miami are going to be the bad guys around MLS. Yeah. And I'm here for it. And I'm very, very glad that there are people petty enough to call the Athletic up Get this published and put some heat on MLS ahead of the season. How'd that go for Tanner Ernst? I love it. Or is it Ernst Tanner? How'd that go for him? Uh, what, did he get a little fine? Because John, Thor- John Thorrington kept doing what he was doing, and it was never mm-hmm. proven, right? Yep. So I at least like that this executive, the Philly executive, put his name behind it. He had the yep. cojones. He had the uh, guacates to actually put his name behind it. Now, if you're going around anonymously and just saying, oh, they're screwed, uh, how are they screwed? I don't know, but they're screwed because look at all they're doing, and we don't have any proof of that. That's that's just something else. But this is Major League Soccer. I don't like it. I don't like the funny money, the TAM, the GAM. I don't like that they can – you don't even know. You know what I don't like? That you don't know what the rules are. There's no transparency in that. So what are you accusing them of if you don't even know the rules for this year? Like if I was a, an opposing exec, I might have kept this to myself just because you know that this team has to offload some of these guys. Why put that out there and let – everybody else know like if you if you have that insight why you why you sharing this with everything everybody big picture though Herc this is rubber meets the road time for MLS because in the past there was maybe a reason for them to to bring the hammer on some of these rules we've seen them do it to Inter-Miami before but now with Inter-Miami having Messi I think MLS is at this weird crossroads where they they really don't want to and probably shouldn't interfere with the building of this super team. Whatever everybody else says, it's bad for MLS to cut Inter-Miami down right now. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Are you, are you just saying they, 
look a blind eye to what's going on with Inter-Miami if they are doing illegal activity? Is that what you're saying? Like it's for the betterment of the league and everybody should yes. just shut up? Is that what you're I'm saying? saying? I'm saying the rubber is meeting the road here, right? When you've got a salary cap that's 5 or $6 million outside of your DPs, but you want to have all these great players in one place, you want to have a team that the world cares about beyond Fort Lauderdale, then yes, you're going to have to spend more. That's what I'm talking about here, Herc. If ever there was a moment, and I know they... They, they just said, they've just said they're not going to you know, blow up the salary cap. But if ever there's a moment to really consider it, when your biggest brand five days before the season isn't going to be roster compliant, whatever that compliance is, is just holding you back. It's holding the league back. It's holding Inter-Miami back. It's holding everybody back. Yeah, and if I were another team, I'd agree with that sentiment because if Inter-Miami is allowed to do it, guess what? So am I. There you go. There you go. And probably those execs that are, that are sharing this information, that's really what they want uh, <laughs> San Jose. The the steady, steady. All right, uh, La Liga on ESPN Plus this weekend. Luca de la Torre, Celta de Vigo, taking on FC Barcelona. Coverage begins at noon Eastern time here on ESPN Plus. And if we don't get it ourselves, then we can be mad when we don't receive the paper. We come to Barbara and see you continue to look back and say that's the way it went. Huh? Next guest here on Football Americas, Mia Fischel of the U.S. Women's National Team, who of course are gearing up for the CONCACAF W Gold Cup, first game out in L.A. Uh, next Tuesday. And we're very excited to have the rights to that in Spanish here on ESPN Deportes. Mia, great to have you here on the show. Welcome. How's L.A. treating you? Hopefully a little, little bit better weather than London. Yeah, thank you for having <laughs> me. And yeah, definitely better weather than London for sure. Um, excited to be back in Cali. Yeah, exactly. You, you know this, uh, this part of the world quite well. Of course, I played your college soccer at UCLA, uh, but a native of San Diego, so you're going to be a big hit with our production crew. We got a lot of TJ, a lot of San Diego in the uh, Football Americas production family. Tell us a little bit about the beginnings of your career, Mia, because I think a lot of people who watch this show might know your story, but at the national team level, you're kind of relatively new. So tell us where the love for soccer started down there in Southern California. Yeah, it started at CSC. I mean... Um, that was my first club team, and I fell in love with the sport there. An amazing coach who just focused on skills, having fun. He didn't care if we won or lost a game. Um, so that's kind of where I fell in love with the sport. Then it got a little bit more competitive. Um, went to the surf soccer club at the polo fields. Um, also an amazing club. Um, got me where I wanted, which was UCLA, um, staying in California, and playing amongst one of the best collegiate athletes um, in the country. Then I decided to go to Mexico with Tigres, um, which just, you know, skyrocketed my career. Um, had a great year and a half with Tigres, um, scoring a lot of goals, had a lot of fun, and then um, won a championship, and then got to my gym club, Chelsea, um, which where I'm at now. 
Fish, I gotta ask you, like, cause you go to Tigres, it doesn't matter if you're on the men's or women's side, it's a massive, massive setup. The fans are unbelievable. You get recognized everywhere you go. There's a lot of ex expectations on you. I'm curious how your three years at UCLA kind of prepared you for that. Uh, how did that go? Um, yeah, UCLA went really well. I think just as a student athlete, it's just juggling um, just different responsibilities, which is, you know, school, um, recovering and obviously playing uh, well for um, for the for the college. And then I think the adaptability of, you know, first time being with older um, athletes, women's soccer players um, also help prepare me for Tigres because that's a whole different environment, different language, different age groups. And that's something that I had to deal with at UCLA as well, which is juggling different things and different responsibilities. So I think that aspect of it helped me a lot. Mia, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you announced that you were going to go pro before even your, your third year at UCLA. So you were thinking about the professional ranks for a very long time, but you get drafted into the NWSL and end up in Liga Mekis Femenil with Tigres. Walk us through that decision a little bit, because it was, it kind of broke the mold. We hadn't really seen that before. Yeah, um, at UCLA after my, yeah, I think after my second year, I was like, you know, I've kind of hit a wall development-wise development, development -wise, um, with, you know, my play. I knew the same competition. I knew the players that I was playing with every day, and personally, I want to be the best soccer player, so I knew that um, it was ready for me to take the next step, which was be a professional soccer player, um, be surrounded by uh, other high-quality players. So I entered my name into the draft, um, got picked Orlando, and I just I didn't like kind of the system, and I wanted to control my own uh, destiny and my own career path. So I thought that that wasn't um, necessarily my path, and I went to the to Mexico with Tigres instead. All right, before I ask you about the league, how's your Espanol? ¿Qué tal? <laughs> muy bien, muy bien. Muy bien, perfecto. All right, let's get to the nitty-gritty here. I want to ask you about the level of play in Liga MX Femenil. Was it what you thought it would be? Was it what you expected? Um, how was that? And are there any improvements you would make to it? Yeah, honestly, I didn't expect anything going into uh, Liga MX Femenil. I just, that's kind of my, always my mindset is I'm not going to expect anything. I'm going to get there. I'm going to see, I'm going to feel, and I'm going to play what, what they're playing. And I think that the big thing was how technical they were. I, I'm obviously coming in bigger, stronger, faster, but uh, the technical side of the game was something that, you know, I wasn't really uh, used to in college because it's more of direct play, more, phys more physical game. So I think that um, when I first got in, I was like, okay, I need to work on my touch. I need to work on my... Um, technique of passing, long balls, um, short passes, and obviously the passion. I haven't seen, like, you know, I see them in the fans, but also my teammates, like, everything matters. It's very competitive, and it's just in the culture, and I just felt that as soon as I came into trainings. So you're in the uh, Mekis, and we covered you quite a bit on this show. There was no shortage of goals. I mean, we have a running back <laughs> segment here. We show Americans scoring abroad. Uh, it seemed like you were a weekly contributor, right? The statistics said, hey, this player should get called up into the national team, but it didn't happen until you make the move to Chelsea. Did you feel that you had to leave Liga Mekis Femenil to get into the U.S. national team? Um, I, didn't, I didn't feel like that because I always believe that my game always speaks for itself, honestly. Um, but I knew, like, like my decision to leave, you say early, 
I decided to leave Tigres because I just felt like I did everything I could there. I was the leading goal scorer. I was a champion uh, with the team, and I need to push myself. I want to be the best soccer player, so it's on to the next. And, you know, I moved to Chelsea, obviously one of the world's best soccer teams in, in the world. So um, I landed there, also different from any other U.S. Women's National Team player besides Lindsey Horand at the time. And, um, and yeah, I think that separated myself for sure um, from, from this team. Let's talk about that move to Chelsea. How did this move come about and why Europe and not NWSL? Um, yeah, so I started killing it in Tigres, and uh, my agent gets an email from Chelsea saying like that they want me, and I'm like, wow, like I've followed Chelsea, the men's side, since I was a kid, since I was like nine years old. My brother was an Arsenal fan, my dad was a Liverpool fan. I was always Chelsea, watching the games at Stamford Bridge. So as soon as that club came up, um, I was like, yeah, I have to go. Sam Kerr's there, international superstars. Um, if you see the roster, it's just ridiculous. And and I know now, like, just the training and the high quality I get every single day, um, it's, it's honestly unreal. So I think that was an obvious choice for me than the NWSL. Mm. That training you talk about, obviously it's run by Emma Hayes, who we know in charge of Chelsea now, but eventually going to take over the U.S. women's national team on a full-time basis. Tell us a little bit about what working with Emma Hayes on a day-to-day basis uh, has been like for you. Yeah, it's been amazing. She's so funny. Like, she's like a personable coach. I mean, anything that I need, I can talk to her. Um, just not not only on the field, but off the field. She does amazing things about um, what we need, uh, anything, from menstrual cycle to nutrition to um, any problems that we have. I think she's just a very, very amazing human being. Um, as a coach, she's very tactical. She knows the game. She watches it all the time. And um, she's helped me grow a lot as a player, just with my movements, um, the type of runs I need to make, um, and how to get past the defense and being staying dangerous throughout the whole the whole game. I think if you talk to anyone on my team, um, Emma Hayes is an amazing coach. And she just makes every player better every single day. You just scored your first Champions League goal. Congratulations. More play like that is going to make you a mainstay on the U.S. Women's National Team. Let's talk about that role, that future with the U.S. Women's National Team. Lots of forwards here, Mia. But a lot mm-hmm. of those forwards don't play as an actual traditional nine. It's probably just Alex Morgan. You do. Talk to me about your role with this U.S. Women's National Team and maybe what that future would look like for you. Yeah, I think that right now there's a turning point in the team. New coach, new staff, um, a lot of players with their first caps, second caps um, in this camp. So I think that the mindset of the mindset of this team right now is that everything's up in the air. Our new coach is watching, and you got to earn your spot. And I feel like that's kind of that's going to be my role is to do the best that I can every single day in training, um, in the games to solidify my spot, and um, you know keep working hard to to be on this team for a long time. All right, Mia, before we let you go, let's bring it back to the CONCACAF W Gold Cup, which is, uh, of course, starting next week. I'm curious about kind of your personal and the team expectations for this event. But maybe beyond that, as a new player, having seen what happened at the World Cup, if you feel pressure to redeem this team or responsibility to kind of get the U.S. back where it's been. Yeah, being on the U.S. Women's National Team, there's an expectation to always win. Uh, Anything less is a disappointment. We failed. So coming in this tournament, 
um, yeah, we're expected to win. We're expected to um, dominate and play the way that we want to play, especially after the World Cup. Um, we just want to build from that, from that tournament and continue to grow um, as a team, especially leading up to the Olympics. So I think this is the first, this is a big tournament in preparation for it. And I think that we just got to go in and, and do our thing. All right, there she is, Mia Fischel, striker for the U.S. Women's National Team and Chelsea. Mia, great to have you with us here on Football Americas. Thanks so much for the time and good luck next week. Thank you for having me. CONCACAF W Gold Cup starts next week. U.S. will open things off against either Guyana or Dominican Republic, still to be decided. Coverage starts Tuesday on ESPN Deportes, 10.15 p.m. Eastern Time. One more run it back, Kirk, before we get out of here. Josh Sargent. Man, this guy's in every freaking run it back. Another goal as North City wins 4-2 over Watford in the championship. It misses the penalty kick, but off the rebound. That's a header. That's eight in the season. Uh, this man three straight, four points behind West Brom for that final playoff spot. I'm not saying. I'm just saying, Seb. I know what you're saying. Be awful tough to keep this guy off the field with the U.S. Eight goals and one assist, and that's in just 12 championship appearances this season. Remember the long injury layoff. Let's go to Poland. That's where we find Daniel Trejo, the 25-year-old Mexican with uh, USL and a little MLS experience. How about this golazo for Corona Kilsa? Yeah, Morelia born. Danny Trejo, ex of LAFC, ex of Phoenix Rising, defending UCL, uh, excuse me, USL champions right there. That's right. Looks like it could be a Morelia kit there that he's uh, wearing over in Poland. Not far from Poland, Germany. I think, I'm not a geography expert. Bundesliga on ESPN Plus. RB Leipzig against Mönchengladbach. Maybe we'll get a peek at uh, Jordan Pifok or Joe Scally in that one. Coverage begins at 12.20 p.m. Eastern time here on ESPN Plus on Saturday. And that'll just about do it for this edition of Football Americas. Herc, uh, before we get out of here, uh, what you wearing over there? It's my No Peppy No Party Top Bins shirt. Uh-huh. Okay. What you got going on? Very, very good. I got a uh, old-school Kappa Brazil top. You thought this was from the 90s, but again, I'm not that old. This is from the uh, from the. You look like Maybe a like... young Bebeto. Hey, I'll take that. I'll take that. I've been called uh, If he was worse. really sick and yes. uh, hadn't seen the sun for like two Okay, thank months. you. <laughs> uh, speaking of Ricardo Pepe, on Monday's edition of the show, we're going to have Marciano Vink. He's one of our colleagues from ESPN Netherlands. So we're going to talk on PSV ahead of their Champions League date with Dortmund. We'll also probably be talking some Santiago Jimenez as well. And we will, of course, continue the buildup to the CONCACAF W Gold Cup, which kicks off next week in Los Angeles. For Herc, I'm Seb. Thanks for watching. Have a great weekend. We'll see you on Monday.